people say all the time, we want to have a diversity of thought at the table. It's like, you know, those meetings are going to take longer, right? Because like, <laughs> just know that, right? It's just like, we say we want a diversity of thought, assuming everyone's going to agree. And it's like, well, diversity of thought means we actually have the permission to disagree. And part of practicing political inclusion, I think, is giving us permission to find a different yes. Welcome to another episode of Well Seasoned, the podcast. With us today, we have Kemi Joseph. He's a CEO and DEI specialist of FAIRS Advantage. And FAIRS stand for Fuel Extraordinary Actions, Relationships, and Systems. So we want to thank you so much for being here with us. And there's so many things we can discuss with you. But today, we're going to focus on how we can build crisis-proof trust. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. And I'll kind of turn it over to you to tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I appreciate y'all. And and especially having a conversation with meeting planners in the middle of all this madness, and we're going to be talking about trust and what it looks like in this virtual world. But I very much believe that meeting planners and people who create the stages, you create experiences to make an impact on people. But thank you for giving me an opportunity to to be a part of that impact that you're making as people listen to the podcast. I was sharing with y'all just being able to listen to the episode on diversity and inclusion was powerful for me. And I'm listening to that in my morning preparation. I'm like, yeah, I get even fired up hearing (laughs) y'all laugh about it, share stories. And, And for me, coming in this space as a speaker, coming as a performer and somebody who also likes to bring people together. It's just been so powerful to see those who step up and do that virtually. So I just want to start by saying thank you for your work and for the opportunity to be here today. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And as Patrick said prior, right, is that you are a new friend to us and we are so happy to have you. And, you know, I was just looking through your website and some of the information you shared and every single one of your topics so relevant to 2020 and just trying to live life in general. Just live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of it, the name of it alone could be like a daily mantra for people. So, <laughs> yeah. and just so our audience knows, we were introduced through a mutual friend, Eric Rosenberg. So shout out to Eric. I know that uh, you listen to the show. So Eric, thank you for making this introduction. And Kimmy and I, we actually hopped on a call, started talking. I was telling him a little bit about what I do. He was telling him a little bit about what he's doing. And it was funny because I was sitting there on that call, Kimmy, and I was thinking, wow, he would be so good for our listeners to interact with. And then Kimmy said to me, oh, that would be cool. You know, how do you select your guests? And I was like, Kimmy, you want to be on the show? Like, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Let's get you on, bro. Yes. No, no problem. So I feel honored to have you on here. But Kimmy and I, we actually became fast friends with our mutual connection through a theatrical background. My background was in theatrical design. And Kimmy, tell us a little bit about how you ended up on stage when you started backstage. I was telling Patrick that I studied film and theater at the University of Miami here. And it's interesting, too, that the idea of being an actor in the front of the stage, it always felt weird to me, like playing somebody else to just step into somebody else's experience. And so I spent more of my time backstage. So helping with the theater and the operations, hanging lights and just getting super dusty, like doing all the things behind the stage. And this is why I started with appreciation for you all as meeting planners, because I know what it takes to do the behind the scenes. And Patrick and I were talking about when we have this conversation around DEI, for example, or even trust, when it goes well, people barely mention it. Like when the stage, when a performance goes well, 
no one's like, man, the production team must have been great. It's like, no, we don't talk about that unless there's an issue. And so it just gives me this appreciation for the backstage. And as I've been making my rise as a speaker and a performer, it also gives me a greater honoring of when I'm in that spotlight. What can I do to really step up and speak on behalf of everybody who helped me get there, right? Not just the people in my personal life, but everybody who is in the back of the house, who's running the show, who's making sure the voice gets amplified. And when we look at this work that we're doing in our, in our organization with the Fears Advantage, we're wanting to create that space as well. So we're interviewing different people. Like we just had an interview on balancing truth and thanks for Thanksgiving. And we're having a show today, right after this, actually around a trans remembrance day. How do we make the world safer for people in a trans community, right? Mm-hmm. So it's tackling very heavy issues. And then it's the same way of sharing that spotlight with people who can amplify voices that may go unheard, but need to be a part of this conversation. I love that because one of the things, I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I say it almost daily, is that my success is dependent on the success of others. We all work together to achieve that goal. And I love what you just said about your organization and how you kind of move through and recognize that it's not just you on stage, it's everyone behind the scenes that's lending to that. So that's that's beautiful. I love it. I appreciate that. As you're talking about the connection of the success, I mean, and, and when we're looking at building trust, especially in a year like 2020, I heard from one of my mentors that as the markets go down, the value of relationships and trust goes up. Yeah. Even the fact that Patrick and I just met, I mean, I recently met Eric through another friend, right? And so this Mm -hmm. interesting thing of us being connected and the fact that we would even get on a call is because Patrick trusts Eric to connect them. So I come in with the introduction of trust and that makes a huge difference compared to if I was like knocking on the door, like, hey, can I get on your podcast as a random stranger? So Mm -hmm. we see how that trust becomes a leverage just to even open the door. And when we're in a world where so many people are affected disproportionately and also dealing with inequity at a high level, it takes a lot of trust for us to not turn on each other. It's perfect because what Kimmy just said relates right back to our last episode where we were talking about people doing business with people that they like, know, and trust. That's really the way in. We talk about this all the time, that the cold calling is dead, those kind of things. But as you're able to build a relationship, I also talked about collecting those dots in the last episode. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen about collecting dots, but about collecting dots and then connecting the dots. So how does that one dot that might not do anything for you, but you collected a dot, and now that dot might lead to another dot that leads to another dot that might then do something for you. So you know, you're perfectly summing up exactly what we just talked about. It's fantastic. I think it's it's a trust in people and then a trust in timing, right? I guess depending on what you believe about universal laws or faith, it's like talking about connecting the dots. I've been sharing this quote from Steve Jobs that says, we can only connect the dots looking backwards. So we look back at our lives and we're like, oh, I saw how these dots connected. Mm. So for me, faith is knowing that the dots are still here. Like I may not see how they connect right now, but I'm going to keep on collecting those dots so I can (laughs) connect them when I look back. And I'm glad that we're in the, the same kind of thought for sure. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about building that crisis-proof trust Mm -hmm. and where we are today. Welcome to 2020. It has been an entire year. I feel every second of the year. (laughs) And yet somehow I'm like, wait, is it already Christmas decoration time? But I know I felt all those months. But it's so hard right now when we talk about trust. If I speak personally, trust this year is different than what trust last year was. And I even just recently with work, 
your manager might have you do those personality assessment tests and all that. And I looked at these tests from one year to another, and I see so many things changing. Like before where I would be more outgoing and wanting to get to know somebody on a personal basis and really spending that time. Now it's like, listen, my name is Stacy. I am the events manager. You don't need to know much more about me because I have that wall up and I don't want to let people in. So in terms of trust, are you seeing any changes? Have people mentioned anything like that where they're seeing a shift? Oh, absolutely. And when we work with organizations, we also measure that by in doing the assessments to ask of trust and inclusion are some of those things that are hard to pinpoint what it looks like. We know what it feels like. We know when we don't trust someone, we may not even be able to say it like, oh, I don't know, but it's just something that puts the walls back up. Right. And I think also when you see the world and what happened with George Floyd and you're seeing what happened with the response to COVID, people are wanting to protect themselves even more. I'm going to say this and then we'll kind of maybe circle back with the idea. People are asking us to come in and talk about racism when we're talking about DEI. And it's like, wait, do you have the safety and trust to even have those conversations? I tell people all the time, I don't talk right. to random people about racism. We don't have the trust and safety to do that. And so right. to answer your question is, yes, people are thinking about this more, especially when COVID kind of put our safety at risk. And, and mm-hmm. I think now people are saying, oh, safety is not just in our finances. It's in our breathing and our way of life and all these things being affected by the same global event as people more willing to at least entertain the conversation around how people have been living so unsafe or have been feeling under threat for a greater period of time while a lot of us were still moving our careers and everything forward. I'm listening to you and you're saying having these conversations is hard. I think about that in terms of what 2020 has done. It has brought all these isms and all the things that kind of have our wall up to the forefront. And I know one of the things that kind of break that trust is you think to yourself, this isn't new. Racism, prejudice, systematic racism, whatever it may be, these are all things that I, as a person of color, as a Black woman, have dealt with and have seen. And I feel as though now you're kind of getting corporations riding the wave. Now they want to have inclusion councils. Now they kind of want to talk about it, but they don't really want to talk about it. They'll talk around it. Instead of saying something like, you know, we need to help the community of color, they might disguise it as community service, (laughs) you know, know, so it's so hard to kind of build that trust when the first communication and the first interaction you have with it in your business world is through something that's not even forthright, forthcoming, just clear. Doesn't feel honest or doesn't feel true to the intentions. And what you're tapping on too is part of the reason we even have the name Fears Advantage. We know one of the greatest barriers to trust is our fears, right? Mm -hmm. We just like kind of simplify it. Some people say you either choose love or fear. We would say love is also trusting that that love is going to be returned, that that love is going to help, that love is going to support. So to the difference between the love and fear is our levels of trust. And so what's interesting is for us, we want to help people instead of trying to shut down their fears or people even said to overcome your fears. And we're saying, well, you can overcome barriers and obstacles because those are external, but our fears are inside of us for a reason. They talk about emotional IQ now as a thing because people, I think, are trying to dampen and suppress those emotions instead of using it to move them forward. So we want people to use their fears to fuel extraordinary actions, relationships and systems. And that first part of the fuel 
when we work with individuals and organizations, we try to find out what is their why, what is actually fueling their behaviors. Every single behavior is motivated by our thoughts and our emotions. So what is actually fueling it? Some people don't even realize they're being fueled by fear and how difficult it is. So when companies start talking around it, you get a little bit deeper in like private conversations, you find out that there's a fear. Hey, if we diversify, some people say things like we want to find diverse talent, but we also want to find the best talent. They're afraid that one, the diverse talent is not the best talent, which is like basically saying, oh, if we're going to go for minorities then we're not going to get the best talent. But then the other fear that comes up is if we start just hiring black people, right? This is one of the things that came out of Black Lives Matter. If we're just hiring a black person, what does that mean for my job? Do I all of a sudden lose my job versus the conversation of how do we create space for all? And so when we start just with the fuel, finding out what is fueling them as the leaders, them as the individuals, and them as a company culture, we can help them see they're either fueling exclusion or they're fueling inclusion. And you can tell which one would build trust, right? It's going to be that we start to fuel inclusion. From an employee perspective, sometimes you're almost afraid to rally around the people of color as a person of color, because then you're seen as being exclusive to others, right? (laughs) Instead of supporting. So it kind of works on both sides of it. During these times, let's talk about where we are right now. We're also talking about waking up each day and wondering whether or not you're going to have a job because you're looking at, if we talk about COVID, we're looking at spikes, we're looking at lows and highs, we're looking at differences between each state, depending on the industry you're in, your industry might be collapsing or might be growing. And internally as a company, you might be going through layoffs or looking to outsource or bringing in agencies. So as you go through these things, you're kind of like, well, what does that mean for me? It kind of lends to the fact that you have that fear of trusting because why would you? If we don't communicate it, people will make assumptions, right? I see Patrick say that, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. if we do not communicate and discuss the why just on a whole, like why does DEI benefit me? Like people are asking that question, but we're not having that conversation. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, why does not being racist benefit me versus just staying out of trouble? Like how does it actually benefit me? And if we don't have some of these conversations where people will make assumptions that it only benefits minorities. And it's like, well, if we go back to everything we just said that we're all connected and our success is other people's success, then that means it does benefit me. And we just, it's just about finding that individual why. I can give you reasons, but I can't give you your own why. And so part of this process for us is helping people establish their own why. Sorry, Patrick, go, go, go. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. And everything that you guys are saying is is brilliant. One other thing that I would like to add is one thing that Stacy and I talk about on one of our educational topics is on that inclusiveness. And we call it bridging the generational leadership gap, but it's beyond just the gap of generations. We talk about a more diverse workforce is a better workforce and it brings new ideas and perspectives that you would otherwise not have. Instead of having that one monolithic style perspective, you're having a full world perspective on an idea or a topic. And I think that a lot of the larger corporations that have really gone into diversity and inclusion are seeing the payoff of that because where their market might have been, we're selling this product and our demographic that we're selling to is this small group. Well, now they've diversified their workforce and some folks on their marketing team, et cetera, their sales team are like, well, you know, that product could also work over here with this group. And so now they're starting to see the benefit of we're not just selling to this small group over here. Now we're able to sell to a broader coalition of people. Absolutely. I mean, so they're diversifying the channels uh, as well as diversifying the thought. And what's interesting is that inclusion is not automatic. 
I think that some people are like, oh, yeah, let's just get a bunch of different people together. It's like, have you talked to people lately? Like, that doesn't always work, right? <laughs> it takes, like, actual yeah. guidance and leadership <laughs> to help people come together. And again, the, the idea of trust, like, we're trying to come up with an equation. Inclusion requires trust. So once you have trust, you're more likely to have inclusion. But you can have what we call false inclusion. Everybody's included here, but then there's no actual trust. So people don't share. We just share what we think the group is going to accept. And this is part of the reason that we started talking about the extraordinary. So again, the E in, in fears is extraordinary. First of all, as an individual, what makes you extraordinary? And allowing that to shine in people. So then as we have that conversation about what makes us extraordinary, we start to flip the script on implicit bias and on privilege. Because this is coming from the theater background too. I love the idea of the hero's journey. Like we take the ownership. So when I say flip the script, I'm not just letting somebody write my story. I'm taking the producer role right now. Like I'm stepping up and saying, this is my script. This is my life. So when we talk about flip the script on implicit bias, I want people to like really pay attention to this. We think that only bad people have implicit bias. And we all have implicit bias. Mm-hmm. The one version of flipping the script is saying implicit bias is info filled in bias. So when I meet you, boom, tossing a lot of assumptions at you. Right. As soon as I realized that, instead of being like, oh, crap, I'm a terrible person, I can say, actually, thank goodness I just realized that. And I can fill in different information. I can actually ask you some questions and find out who you are as an individual mm-hmm. and then change, swap out the information. Now I'm back in control, not my thoughts, not just these random ideas that I have, these random assumptions. And that will lean us into like this conversation with privilege. I know y'all want to share it, I, but I, I'll tell you, you want me to go on the privilege? Can go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so the flip for us on this privilege conversation is helping people when we can, again, tap back that we all have extraordinary potential. We can flip our bias. We can then have a completely different conversation around privilege that, again, it's not a bad thing. We can actually reinvest our privilege if we understand how to use it. For example, I tell people about discovering that I had motion sickness privilege because I brought my family out to Oregon when I was living there and we're driving up a mountain and I've been up that mountain plenty of times and I'm just taking a turn. I'm like, this is so exciting. And then meanwhile, they're like, oh no, we're not doing this well. (laughs) And that was the moment I realized I had motion sickness privilege. Most of our privileges, we realize it in a moment when we see it in comparison to what other people are experiencing. But I would never want to give up my motion sickness privilege. I mean, that was traveling 150 days last year. Mm-hmm. I need that to, to make sure I can make it safe anywhere I go and planes and all that. But I could use my privilege in that moment to ask them what they needed. So, hey, all right. So I want to get you up there as a leader. I want to take you where we're going. What's going to be most helpful? Slow down. <laughs> take the turns easier. Can we take a break? Can you tell my husband that when he took me on my first hike and he didn't understand that he had hike privilege because I didn't know how to navigate the rocks. Rocky, I need you to listen to this part right here. Go ahead. Rocky. Rocky. (laughs) But the point being that, so I, in that moment I had the privilege, I'm not asking people to give it up because I didn't want to give it up. I just, I could use it by asking the people who I had the ability to lead. Now they trusted me to get them up there. We got there. I got to where we wanted to go. I just needed to understand who I was serving. And I think mm-hmm. when we're in this conversation, when we when we have assumptions around privilege, which again, I have to do implicit bias, we assume that people have gotten it ill-gotten and they're like, hey, you have it because you did something wrong or because I don't have it. Mm-hmm. And that just tenses us up. So then it's a place of not seeing the actual human being. And then that's not a place where people feel inspired 
the share or reinvestor privilege. And we call it reinvesting because if you follow finances, if you invest in something, you get it back. Like you get more in return. If I invest and reinvest my privilege, like having all this technology, I have technology privilege. I could easily use this to spread messages of hate. Mm-hmm. But I want to use this to really invest in a positive world to make sure that I also live in a more positive world. And privilege is a bad word. People don't look at privilege as anything other than a negative word. And if you think about when they hear the term privilege, it's never broken down the way you just said it, right? Where it can be looked at as positive or, you know, I'm as, you know, as a white person person, in the world. As a white person. Kimmy, you just gave me like a total (laughs) new insight to, to the idea of privilege, because obviously... That's what I always think about is white privilege. But I guess I never thought about because I, I do know other privilege things like you're talking about. I never thought about something as easy as motion sickness privilege or, or something like that, that then using your power of having that privilege to help somebody else's. You just kind of blew my mind a little bit thinking about that. So I'm sorry, Stacy. Back to you. Back to you, Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> no. What I came to do. <laughs> but when you said as white privilege, no, no. And that's what I, I felt was like about that to was say. my moment that I had to chime in real quick. <laughs> 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 no, but it's so true, though. Like, that's why we always say in Black Lives Matter demonstrations or just when you see injustice happening, when we ask someone to use the privilege that they have, that's what we're asking for. We're not asking for the negative. We're asking, listen, there's clearly... You have a privilege here that's going to help us, that's going to elevate, that's going to diffuse a situation, whatever it may be. That's what we're asking. I think that's why we put it in that extraordinary conversation, because I think people have only taken guilt. I mean, if we look at how this conversation usually happens, it's in the context of shame and blame. We're like, well, I don't want to give this away. But one of the activities we do is like getting a whole gratitude list and people get so excited. And we're saying, do you realize everything on your gratitude list is a privilege? And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's what makes your life extraordinary. And we need you to leverage those things. And then that will lead us into the actions conversation. People feel like, oh, I can actually help. Then they're more willing to help. The other episode, you were talking about microaggressions. And so our flip on that is to create micro progressions is to say, yes, use your privilege and start from right where you are. I was working with one person. They said, you know, I'm really sad that not everybody in my company speaks up and, and really advocates for these issues. They, they were almost looking at it like, I feel bad for them. And I asked, is that how this person normally operates? Are they like an outspoken person? Because some people, as we know, not everybody wants to even be on stage, like stage fright. Maybe before COVID, I don't know if, how this fluctuates with COVID, but public speaking was one of the greatest fears. And we're saying, speak publicly about racism, about discrimination, like, holy crap, that's just 10x people's anxiety and frustration. (laughs) I'm wanting people to say it's micro progressions for us to start where you are, Mm -hmm. where you have the most influence, helping right in your home, right in your office. If you are giving me a chance to help progress the conversation by having me on the show and and the work that you're doing in your own community, because well, you have the influence, you also will see the greatest change. And then that gives the motivation to keep doing more action. Yeah. And let's talk about this in terms of a company level and then a personal level. So as an organization, how do you help to build that trust? And I, I struggled with that because it's a pretty straightforward question with not a straightforward answer, right? Because you have to think like as, as an organization, I see things like we're going to have a holiday party or In this town hall, we're going to put in a thank you slide or here's a $10 gift card. 
that's not building trust. But I could see that as some of the steps they're doing, it's much deeper. And I want to say it starts, I'm asking and answering. I want to say it starts (laughs) from the top down, right? It starts with your leadership down Mm -hmm. and making sure that that inclusion and diversity starts in the top down. And I've been in very white male European driven organizations and it has flowed like that down until maybe the last two or three years of my career. Now I'm working on the corporate side with a very diverse leadership organization, which is nice to see. But at the very top, it's still white male driven and you could see that flowing down. So I guess my question, going back to the original question, how do you do that as an organization? Yeah, I appreciate that question. This is actually a good transition point to the relationships. That's the R of fears is relationships. Trust is very relational, right? It actually has to go from the top down and from the down up. I have to be able to meet you where you're at and saying like, it's wild too, is that we can pay people to come to our jobs. We can pay people to sit down and shut up and just do what we say. We literally cannot pay people to trust us. It's a wild thing. We cannot pay someone to trust us. And so it's interesting when you ask that question of uh, there's people who are operating in silos. Hey, let me just put out a thank you thing or let me give gift cards. Did you ask anybody like who they like? Who? So part of that trust back to the, the conversation around privilege and with my with the people I was driving, like I asked them what they needed from me. And doesn't mean I'm going to do every single thing that somebody asked me. But at least I know. And I think the tricky thing is that people are even afraid to ask, hey, what would be most helpful right now? We're in this time. So part of what we do when we're working with organizations is before any meeting, especially after like a national issue, we'll do a safety check. It's a very simple thing to ask people to rate their level of safety based on the conversation that we're about to have. And that would give us a sense right away to know what's going on. And when we do those assessments, we, we say, you got to assess before you make a mess, right? So we do mm-hmm, an mm-hmm. assessment because the mess usually comes with being tone deaf because we didn't check in or we're gonna, we just think this is the best course of action when we didn't ask anybody who's actually affected by the issues or we try to avoid it, right? We just know those things are not helpful. So being able to check in with our team and more importantly than check in is a follow-up. I think that's where trust is really affirmed or lost. Mm. If I ask you, hey, how can I support you? And you tell me, I don't necessarily have to be like, okay, I can do exactly that. I might say, hmm, I maybe, all right, so here's what I can do. Is that going to be helpful? I just want you to know that based on what you said, here's the best I can offer right now. That's different than saying, hey, what do you need from me? I'm like, that's going to cost too much. Do you like, uh, you know, where I guess we're not going to talk about it again. And then it makes it awkward. And then it makes it feel like, okay, is that a racist? People start to go in a spiral. Is it racism? Is it da da da? I just think about John Gordon saying, where there's a lack of communication, negativity fills the space. Mm. If that is true, right? When we have this gap, one of the greatest ways that we're going to create the safety in our, in these relationships is to communicate. And people are not asking for perfect communication. They're asking for a consistent, caring communication. It's what you said. Not only asking the question, it's listening and it's following up. I think we've all been there where the question was asked, but nothing happened afterwards. Even down to post-event surveys. You send a survey to a group and you want to know what's great and what didn't work. And the group says, I I hated the fact that lunch was at 11. And next year you come back and lunch is at 11. What was the point of asking any question if you're not going to follow up? It's only going to fuel the lack of trust and fear. 
And the follow-up can be like, hey, we actually have to have it at 11 because of this. Right. But if you're not able to eat at 11, we can do this. It doesn't mean that you have to change the main thing. Like we just had this conversation on Thanksgiving. Like we're not going to change the holiday. We're asking people to just approach it differently. Now that they understand the truth of how other people are struggling, how can we actually acknowledge the truth and take action in a way that's appropriate? And and this also comes to like, even in live events, right? Like you... <laughs> I was on a panel and they're talking about DEI and you can just see when the host is like tense, like they don't even like respond to the person's question. They just say, thank you. And they just move on to the next question. Like that's rude. Like they just, I mean, I get it from the host perspective. They don't know what to say. And the problem is when we don't know what to say, we communicate so poorly versus saying like, I'm not even sure what to say in response. I just want to say thank you for sharing. And I'd love to follow up to learn some more. Like even that is just saying, I hear you. Thank you for sharing. I'm uncomfortable, not because of what you said, but because of what I'm processing that goes much further than just not saying anything and just kind of trying to like hide. Like we all saw it. We all saw it. I think you kind of addressed too the second part of my question is, okay, we talked about from the corporate side, but now let's talk about as an employee working for the man, right? We have, (laughs) there's the (laughs) lack of trust there, but because Mm -hmm. you asked the question, Because you stated your concern doesn't mean that it's going to go your way. We all know that you don't get your way all the time. Mm -hmm. That can also lead to it. It's like, well, I've said this a thousand times that this doesn't work. It's not being met. It's kind of like what you said. Maybe the corporation didn't say to them the reason why we can't do this is X, Y, and Z. Or it's a hard conversation, but maybe you need to say what you're asking for is unreasonable. You can't work two hours a day. It's a full-time 40-hour job. Like, you know, so it kind of goes both ways. But um, how do you go about this? And I asked thinking of all the many ways that our trust is at risk. It could be from work. It could be furloughs or layoffs. It could be life Mm -hmm. with everything going on. As a person, how do you build that? How do you kind of work on yourself? Because you need trust to operate this world. Absolutely. I pre- I mean, that's a powerful question. And I, and I want to just, I just want to check in with Patrick, right? Because I wanted to make sure you got excited before. I wanted to just say, before I say anything else, we go on this tangent. Is, is there anything you wanted to, to share on that piece? No, I mean, you guys are doing so good. I've been sitting back like the rest of our listeners, I'm sure, and just absorbing everything. I do have some questions for you, but we'll get back to those later. Keep going. Okay, great, great. And so this is also a chance for me to practice. So even as you are interviewing me and I'm coming in and thinking, okay, if I have a chance right now, can I also check in on somebody else? Right. I could be so worried about my own experience. We're talking about from the employee. I can be so worried about my own, but am I offering trust? Am I offering inclusion? Right. There's some people who are pissed about whatever the issue and they're like, this place is not inclusive. They don't even realize that they're also being oppressive. And that's one of the hardest things to help somebody see when they're in that zone, because they might just be dealing with so much trauma and pain and they are causing the place to be unsafe for other people. The question I would ask for folks to be considering, am I offering trust? Am I seeking to believe in a positive version of what can happen? And just as much as I'm believing in a negative version, and as we go through this conversation with so much uncertainty, am I actually checking in with people, right? There's a um, the person, uh, he slips my mind, but he talks about how when we complain about something, we know there's the better option, but are we actually involved in creating that option? 
And it's a difficult one. I can't prescribe the same answer for every person based, again, based on how you personally operate. But what are the micro progressions that allow you to also be a part of the solutions, which on a deeper level, honestly, requires people to to be clear about how they even want to be seen at work. What does it look like to be heard at work and to actually have influence? Because I think people, they tell me all the time, I say, how do you want to be seen? They say, I just want to be heard and to give me an example. And they go through an example. You know, I've said this a thousand times and, and they didn't change anything. Well, did they hear you? Yeah, they heard me. They were not in their head. They wrote it down. So it means you were heard. No, that means like, I, I want to change. Like, but is that being heard? Or is that like wanting influence? I guess I want influence. It's like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. do. That's what yeah. you want. Right? <laughs> yeah. And is that what your role is in that organization? Like, right. Mm. Like, so again, if you're entry level, if I'm entry level coming to something, I've run events before, right. And then I start going, I'll tell, like, I will go to someone's stage and, and I'm talking about something and I offer a suggestion. Like, we're not trying to hear that from you. It's like, I get that. That's literally not my role. They're not saying it disrespectfully, but it's like, you don't influence that. Like I don't personally influence our U S government. I focus on where I have influence and then I start to understand what's in my power. The, that same person, they have a great level of influence on their own experience. If this company is not moving in the way that I want, I'm realizing that they don't, instead of me frustrated and complaining there, I do what I have to do to find a different company. And that is both the pro and the cons of the trust game is like when people feel that mistrust. They usually will underperform. I think they were saying one of the research we just saw was like 48 or 46 percent of employees say the lack of trust in their leadership negatively impacts their performance. So it's kind of wild to think that people just underperform until they they find a new job. Yeah. And it's like yeah. there's a real conversation over what am I doing to, to really influence my personal situation in the best way possible and offer trust to other folks as well. Lack of trust is lack of motivation and lack of motivation means you're not going to do more. I would be lying if I said I've not been there before where it's like, I don't even want to be here anymore. I'm going to go <laughs> take a two hour lunch. And when I come back, I come back. What you going to do about it? In the virtual world, it's just like, I mean, people just like fade to black. They're just like, they're like, yeah. they're like hey, I'm there. I'm here. I'm here. I was like, what? <laughs> Y'all missed that. He faded to black. <laughs> For you guys that are listening to this and not seeing this, Kimmy's studio is quite impressive. And one thing that I did want to talk to you about, kind of switching gears here, but as a speaker going into the 2020, I know that you, like a lot of us in the events world, we were looking at our best year ever or best year in 20 years, et cetera. We were all pumped up. We were ready to go. And then this hit. It seems like from what I'm seeing from you that you've really embraced the virtual side. How as a speaker, how has this worked for you? What have you done to go from this? Because I I see you guys, again, are not seeing a studio. I mean, there's multiple camera angles. Patrick's nerding out right now. We, we nerded out the other day. We were geeking out on all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Kimmy, I mean, I told you a story that I had a speaker that I know that was like, what I do, I can't transition to virtual, but it seems like you're doing it. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and your journey on transitioning to the virtual world. Yeah, I appreciate that. The I think this is also good. You know, the S is for systems. And I can only say that the systems... I had in place already in my business and in my personal life is what helped me transition. And so, you know, if you're tracking along with fears, it's fuel, extraordinary actions, relationships, and systems. We talked about the the F being like the emotional piece, the emotional or the logical why. Like for me, the S 
is a system to make sure regardless of, even if I don't know why I can still get things done. Right. So for me, just like you mentioned, so many people came into 2020, just as super excited. Like this is the year of clarity. This is going to be awesome. It's like crap. Clarity comes with a price for sure. It's like hardships. And so I remember like March 16th, I think I heard in your previous, when y'all were talking about like booking flights and all that, I just remember like how many flights I had booked that year and 2020 is going to be amazing. I was getting upgraded to first class all the time because I finally had right. that many points where I was like, you know, like, yeah, this is going awesome. <laughs> and I just remember flying home on that last flight and just like being in tears as I'm, as I'm seeing emails come in, cancellation, postpone, cancellation, postpone. And it was, it's the death of a dream, you know, that's what it felt like. And by the time I arrived home and finally got a chance to process what was going on, for me, flipping the script was starting to look at what are the opportunities. I was like, wait a minute, I've been saying I wanted more time at home. This is a weird way to get it, right? I've been saying I can do more things on this is a very difficult way to come to reckoning with the stuff I've said I wanted to do. So part of me with the systems conversation was saying, okay, one my company was ready for like we've been saving the idea of going to financial freedom was huge so i know i trusted in myself going back to reinvesting my privilege like i invested in our savings and, and the things that i needed to do to be ready for something like this to happen and so that was great and then being able to, to come home and start to think what can i do to bring myself online uh, Patrick and I spoke about how people kept saying, we got to go online, but then they would be phony. It's like, there's this random person. Who are you? Like, I didn't, that's not the same person I would see if you're off camera. Yeah. I was like, how do I bring myself online? That was a challenge to me. It was saying, I love the interaction. I'm usually doing activities and exercises with people where we're in groups. So I just started to look around. And, and I said, before I have technology privilege, I also have education privilege. You don't see the degrees, but I could bring my film experience right to the forefront I pulled out all the old equipment I had and I just kept on experimenting. What would work if I did this? What would work if I did that? And it was interesting that in that since from March to about April, not only did I create my own studio, but I created a whole course on five-star virtual engagement. So what does it mean to be a five-star facilitator to really rock a virtual event, to have people in Zoom rooms and break out using music? And we just re were releasing the course the same week we were releasing the course the murder of George Floyd happened. And I had been talking about DEI and all his previous years, and I've been talking about culture and climate. It felt very inappropriate to like go with the launch of something like that in the middle of the difficulty. So it was literally like another dream. I just had this new dream. We're going to crush it online. We're going to do it. People really need this. And then bam, it was another pivot. But again, I had the fuel Right. I'm a black man. If they don't know who I am, they can't see me. But that was enough fuel to kind of be like, yo, I don't care what it takes. We got to get into this conversation at the deep level. So everything that we put aside in March, we just brought it right back to the forefront and brought it on this virtual space and looking at how to make this conversation extraordinary because we need to have extraordinary change right now. And then how to take the actions that would then build the, the relationships and allow us to leverage everything we have to make a systematic change. And so I think that's a long answer to your question, Patrick, but it's a, the virtual transition came out of a need and the creativity came out of resourcefulness. And it started with trust, started with trust, internal trust, right? Yeah. I'm sure that that change, yes, it had a lot to do with what you were doing and how you saw this working out, but it also was a trust in your team, your tribe to kind of bring it there as well. 
And so we're talking about that crisis proof level of trust is like we're seeing vaccines, but there might be a whole nother thing that happens. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah. does the team trust in the leadership? Does, does the leadership trust in the team to say, hey, we're going to make it through this? Right. Because you talk about the layoffs and stuff. I know many leaders who didn't take paychecks to make sure that their team right. would stay on. And they said that things to their team, right? Some I have other leaders who tell me, oh yeah, I don't want to stress my team about the finances. I'm like, they're already stressed, right? The fact that you're not telling them anything is making it worse and breaking the trust. Lack of communication is the biggest break of trust. So as we come full circle with that conversation, when we were asking me about what can the employee, like how can they balance that trust too? It's like, are we offering trust to our leaders, right? Because there's an empathy gap there. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to run an organization in the middle of all this. It's very hard to plan meetings when people are so scattered and we're missing those things. But are we honoring everyone's efforts? that all the hard work that goes into something to create, even if there is a misstep and we say the wrong thing, are we actually willing to honor all the effort that went into trying to do the right thing? Yeah. I have one other thing that, because I, I know that we're coming up to the end of our time, which I mean, these always go by so fast guys. Uh, like I, I don't know for our listeners, but for us, they go by so fast. One thing that I read on your website and it caught me off guard, I never thought about this, right? When we're talking about diversity and inclusion, there's one thing that you mentioned and you spoke earlier about government, about political inclusion, being inclusive Mm -hmm. of people, whether their sex, their color, et cetera, but also their religion, but also their political ideals. And I think in today's environment, it's so toxic that we need to be understanding of each other. And that's another form of inclusiveness. And I guess if you want to talk a little bit about political inclusion, because you're the first person I've ever heard say this. So. <laughs> that's been one of my favorite topics because, you know, listen, because we'll, right now I'm not feeling political inclusion. I know, I know. So <laughs> let, let, let's be real. If we, if we put this back into fears context, right? When we are feeling, there are times where I feel very toxic, frustrated, mad. I just know that's an opportunity for me to take care of myself and to to really watch my communication, right? So, you know, when people don't get it twisted, I'm not living in a naive world. I'm just saying, when I check on that fuel, if, hey, if I'm going to say something out of anger, that's not the time for me to speak, right? So I can understand what's going to fuel me. So when we have this conversation about political inclusion, People will be talking about, yeah, let's include, you know, black people, let's include different minorities. And then you say political inclusion. They're like, what does that even mean? And then we break down the definition, kind of like you were talking about, Patrick. And they're like, oh, I was like, well, if you don't know what it means, you're probably not practicing it. Right? It's like we've allowed that to become an accepted form of discrimination. And I just think about if we are just changing the flavors of discrimination we're allowing in the world. Right. There was a point where we discriminate against black people. Like, boom, that's fine. And now we're, we're, we're seeing a reckoning of that. And every four years, we see a reckoning of it politically. And we're like, I can't believe there's so many people. It's like system was set up to be a two-party system. Are you just assuming that after an election, these people just disappear? Like, I don't yeah. understand that logic. So, and by the way, in this election, I realized I didn't have friends on the other side. And that was part of the reason I've just been like pushing the conversation with political inclusion. Cause I was like, I didn't personally have any friends. I've been being exclusive this whole time. So I'm just like slowly reeling people back in and knowing that they voted for different people, like reeling them back in to practice it in my own right, because I, I really want to be able to make sure we're practicing a holistic version of inclusion. That's what true inclusion would be like for us. This false kind of pick your issue inclusion, that's not going to help us. So let me ask you a question because I hear what you're saying. 
Is there, is there a bug coming? <laughs> however. <laughs> no, but just a however. Just however. a however. <laughs> One of the things that we talk about all the time right now is we can have different views if one of your views isn't hating me. Yes. And so when we talk about political exclusion versus inclusion, I think that during these times, if we are to be, keep it a buck, right? Keep it real. It's not so much that I hate or dislike or don't want to talk to you because of your party. It's the views that you hold right now in association with said party. Now, the two-party system has been around longer than this current president has been, and it's never been a problem prior to that. So I hear you saying you're reeling people in, but are you reeling? <laughs> How do you protect yourself? How do you protect yeah, yourself? Yeah. So there's, a, there's so much in that. Thank you for, it's funny. I just, I just allow, I don't even speak the objections. I like people just to grapple with their own. But yeah, <laughs> this absolutely. is a deep episode, we, y'all. <laughs> we've heard, I've heard that so many times and a couple of things I will say, and uh, we haven't officially started our webinar like this, but this is one that I want to start with. You know, for example, are all black people the same? People say no. Mm-hmm. Are all white people the same? No. Right, are all no. Republicans the same? Right. Are all Democrats, right? The point being that by putting these people in a group, so when I found out that my friend voted differently than me, I'm like, oh, I have a chance right there. Either I'm going to put them in the pool of everybody else who I think just believes that. And like, oh, you must believe dot, dot, That's dot. That's built-in discrimination that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or... I'm willing to see this person as a human being and say, okay, help me understand how you got there because I know you as a good person. We're basically saying that other people are not good people anymore. Yeah, and it's no, literally yeah. where people have yeah. been breaking their brains, breaking their families. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's really hard. And so when we look at some of these extreme people, those folks are not trying to be included by me. When I'm talking about reeling people in, I'm reeling in the pe- There's a lot more people who are in the middle, who are like more moderate or even independents who are getting lost in the shuffle. But we're trying to fight with all these folks. It's like, we got a chance to interview Daryl Davis and he talks about going into like KKK embedded communities as a black man and his work and in inclusion. That's an extreme. Like, I'm not even asking people to do all nah, that. Bruh. I'm saying, yeah, I know, right? I'm like, no, ministry. no, no, <laughs> right? That's not, but he, that there's people who want to do that. When I'm talking about reeling people in, it's like, there's a lot of other people who are not as polarized okay. and we have to unsubscribe from the divide. There are people right around us who would be like excited to talk with us and they're not, they're not going to bang us over the head with all this stuff. Because they would rather still be in relationship with us. So if we bring this whole thing full circle, are we offering inclusion to the other party? Are we actually doing that? Not to say, hey, I'm only going to include you, right? It's not a simulation. I'm only going to include you if you just agree with me. It's like, because we talk about having people say all the time, we want to have a diversity of thought at the table. It's like, you know, those meetings are going to take longer, right? Because... Just know that, right? Just like we want, we say we want a diversity of thought, assuming everyone's going to agree. And it's like, well, that's not what's going to happen. Like diversity Mm -hmm. of thought means we actually have the permission to disagree. And a part of practicing political inclusion, I think, is giving us permission to find a different yes. We don't necessarily have to agree on the politics and yada, yada. What else can Mm -hmm. we both say yes to? To be like, all right, good. We're good here. Let's keep on building what we can agree on, what we can actually find common ground on and work together. I like it. 
And for those of our listeners that don't know the Daryl Davis story, Daryl Davis befriended Ku Klux Klan members and convinced them to give up being in the KKK. About 200 of them. Yeah. yeah. And he has like a whole collection of robes that people gave him because they were giving up being in the KKK (laughs) because of him. You know, so I guess the point here is (laughs) it's hardcore. Yeah, is understanding the other side and having the other side see you as a person. We had Scott Shepard on that interview too. So he was a former KKK person. And and when we talked about what tipped the scale for him was when he was looking for a different place to belong, he found Daryl Davis, right? He found somebody who was willing to bring him in. And this is the difficult part is that if we're saying like we want you to leave X party or X change X thought, right? You were kind of talking about different thoughts and beliefs. Is there a place where that person can transition into? Mm. And I know not everyone is is even open to have that. But the question is, if that person doesn't have a place, they're more likely to just stay with the negative version or, or the people who are promoting hate. And so I would rather do the hard work of creating an environment where people work because I believe in relationships and redemption. Like if somebody is trying to make things better, because I've been on the oppressor, the oppressor side myself, if someone is trying to make their lives better, I want to be able to provide a space for that. And I'm grateful to have the opportunity to, to have these kind of conversations to help people see how do we do that in our events, as well as how do we do that in our organizations and even in our, in our homes. I think that's it. <laughs> That's such a high. That is such a high to end on. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. That was that was a different way of looking at things, you know, and I appreciate that. And thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. And I hope that our listeners will be able to take pieces of this and be introspective with the information you shared with us and really talk about how, you know, what can we do? to build ourselves and to build the community that we're in, whether it's work or home or family or wherever you may be, to just kind of, you know, help build trust so we can have a trusting society. <laughs> what, what a concept. And yeah, this well, is Patrick. Stacey, I have a question. I'm curious now after Kimmy's whole thing and at the beginning when he was talking about assumptions, what assumptions did you have about me when you first met me? Oh, you want to go there? Okay, we'll we'll just we'll end maybe right that, there, everybody. Paprika, paprika, paprika moment. Yeah, if I, if oh, I look, look at Kimmy bringing up the paprika. All right, no, seriously though, Kimmy, thank you so much for being on today's episode. And where can everybody find you? Uh, go yeah, ahead and plug your website. Everything. Oh yeah, thank wherever you, you want people to follow. You can uh, find us at fearsadvantage.com. So as, as you mentioned, fears is fuel, extraordinary actions, relationships, and systems. So fears advantage. Com. And I also want to offer them a free gift, which we have is called our safety check. We've been talking a lot about building trust. One of the best things you can do before and even after tragedy is check in on the safety of your organization. So you can find that at fearsadvantage.com slash safe. So fears, F-E-A-R-S, fearsadvantage.com slash safe, which will give folks a chance to, to check in with your organization, see where people are at. And that way you can proceed with caution. So you make sure you make things better. And as we close out that conversation with all of the things we've been talking about. It's just about you and as a leader continuing to take steps, to let people know that you are willing to hear them and support them as best you can. As, as we're closing out here, we, we mentioned the term micro progressions, you know, slow progress is still progress. Continue taking the steps to make the greatest impact where you have influence and you will start to see 
a more trusting world because you are creating a more trusting world right around you and that that continues to expand. So I appreciate y'all giving a chance to, to share here. And that is the knowledge you dropped for everyone. I was going to ask you. So <laughs> thank you so much. Will you join us for our paprika? Yes, yes. I'm all in with y'all. I was like, hey, when the interview is done, let's chat some more. And that's it. Patrick, I'm just going to ask you directly. Oh, gosh. Are you going to do a paprika after mine that's going to make me look foolish? Should I go first or should you go second? What are you going to talk about today? Well, let's pull straws. Go ahead. You can pull the pull, pull the short straw. Go ahead. See, Kemi, this is what he does to me, right? I talk about something that's so light, and then he comes in with a, the woes of the world, and I... <laughs> Pat, no, Patrick, you go first. Okay. Yeah, hey, well, Kimmy's the guest. Let's have Kimmy go. It's funny. I, I heard this. I was preparing. I was like, what is my appropriate? How do I help? <laughs> so this can be about whatever you want it to be about. You can talk about whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, go, I go so deep often. Uh Let's, um, you know, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is music and just okay. getting a chance to uh, to make music and, and that journey of it just kind of ties into everything we talked about. My first experience making music was like trying to drum at my church based, like being forced to do it. And I was terrible at it. And my mom's <laughs> like sense of disappointment. But <laughs> so, so that wasn't my path. Right. But then I found my path here with uh being able to improv and to do freestyle community uh, creation, created songs. And I just think about that idea of no matter where you start, even if it's a struggle, like you can find your version of any of this that makes your life uh, more exciting. That's awesome. I like it. Patrick. All right. I'll do my paprika. So it's Thanksgiving time and I wanted to bring up what I'm thankful for because I like to go around at Thanksgiving and talk with everybody at the table. Hey, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Obviously, I'm thankful for my kids, my wife, all the great things that I have going on. But I did want to say in this world, how thankful I am for our community, for the community that our industry has and how strong that community is. And like Kimmy said in today's episode, it's at times when things get the toughest that your group is the strongest that you really have to come together. And during these times, all of these new event groups have started and the sense of community has been there, like hospitality, uh, family group on Facebook, shout out to you guys. Lots and lots of groups have really formed and that sense of community has gotten stronger and stronger. So I am the past president of the MPI South Florida board. And through this, we started doing all of these happy hour events with all these other chapters and doing all these other things. I become so connected and stronger in this community with people from other groups because of everything going on. So I guess my thing is, I'm just so thankful for the community that we have and how strong it is. And it's helped me get through this time. And I know it's helped some other people get through this time, both professionally and personally, because we had an outlet. We had other people to talk to that were like-minded and they understood exactly what I was going through and I understood what they were going through. So that sense of community, I'm very thankful for. Aw, that was a good one, Patrick. Mine still isn't that deep. (laughs) I would like to say something I discovered through uh, this time is I hate icebreakers that are forced, okay. forced icebreakers to force inclusion, to force relationships, 
to force all that. And I've been seeing an increased amount of, we need to have an icebreaker. We need to have an icebreaker. And what we talked about in the show was, did you ask? Did you ask if we need to have an icebreaker? Like, stop forcing me to be friends with people that I wouldn't want to be friends with and stop forcing me to have icebreakers for two, three hours after work time. We already talk about how much work we're doing and how much time we're putting in and we don't have time to go to bed and you have to do all these emails. And then you say you're going to take an hour and a half or whatever time out of my time to play a game with you. I don't want to play spades with you. Like I would, I would play spades. Let me put that out there. I would play spades or dominoes because that's my thing. But I think these icebreakers are used to kind of force these relationships and inclusion. And, and I say that knowing that we start our talks with icebreakers and we do all that, but there's a time and a place. Just throwing in icebreakers every single week for every meeting has become one of the things that builds anxiety in me. Like I see meetings and I see that and immediately I tense up and I don't want to talk and I don't want to share anything and that's it. So that's my, um, that's my paprika is I hate forced icebreakers. <laughs> I appreciate that honestly for sure. And paprika is whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> so people tighten up your, your icebreaker game is what I'm yeah. hearing there. Yeah, like, that's, get, that's what get I heard too. Tight, get it good. I mean, it's funny, we do them all the time too. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder if she's talking about my icebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, I said we do it all the time. Yeah, we, we do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, when we're, when we're, she's not talking about my Mine's are great. I mean, no, I feel like I'd be more specific in what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I just think as a listener, right? Just hear it. This is going back. So we're just talking about like, here's the feedback and what is the best way to do it, right? And that way you can talk about the best thing that makes the most sense for our teams. And so thank you for that. Yeah. So thanks you. Thanks you. Thanks you. Thanks everybody. Yeah. <laughs> this is another episode of Well Season, the what, Patrick? The podcast. Thanks for joining. Peace out, <laughs> Cub Scouts. All I right. got it before you stole it. <laughs> Episode produced by Patrick Brochu and Stacey Ann Van Horn Doria. Sound editing by Rocky Doria and song by Dr. Delight. Now everybody gets an extended episode because of Patrick. Oh, oh, Uh-oh. oh they can't see me dance. Sorry, this is weird. <laughs>